you can't be angry at the world. I mean, it's the, the universe doesn't care what you think. It's kind of like if you if you don't put the effort in, nothing's coming your way. You know, so you kind of need to, you know, set up plans today for what you want tomorrow. And if you don't do that, don't expect it tomorrow, and don't be angry at the world for that. Radio, this is Site to Studio episode 12. Wow, 12. With Andrew, how do I say your last name? Javeri. Javeri. What's that? Where's that come from? So Javeri's from my dad's side of the family. And um, so his dad was, was Indian and his mum's South African. So yeah, Indian South African. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we've actually never met, right? This is a no, we first haven't. time we met. And I kind of like the feel of this is we're going to learn about each other <laughs> so as we go along with everyone else learning about you as well yeah cool man um so all i know about you is you're from sydney you're a cabinet maker i just learned that you also played the drums for a long time yeah and um i'll leave the rest to you what tell us who andrew is who andrew is <laughs> um all right great that's that's pretty uh that's pretty deep i mean I think I I started with um, I mean I guess I'll start with where I'm at now and I'll sort of go back from there. Um, you know, obviously currently I'm CEO and founder of Arc Joinery, uh, and I've recently created another business called Cabbage, which is um, basically manufacturing for the trade. Um, and um, prior to being a cabinet maker, um, yeah, I, I basically spent about ten years touring as a as a professional musician. Uh, and I was a drummer, sponsored by Mapex Drums like down here in Melbourne, actually. And um, yeah, just um, spent a lot of time with various sort of acts throughout Australia, um, overseas. Um, and yeah, that that was my job. I, I played drums for a living for about ten years. And yeah. I guess um, you know, for me, everything's been about sort of opportunity to get to where I am today. And um, you know, I still think that that's a big part of you know, how you progress in your career. Um, and that's certainly how I sort of fell into music was, you know, small opportunities that came my way and um, just not being afraid to sort of jump on that and, and grab, grab each opportunity with both hands. Yeah. And then how did you get into cabinet making? What was the opportunity that sort of brought you into that? So I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a housing commission kid. So I, I grew up, I didn't really sort of have a whole lot to do with my family and um you know i guess i've always been that kind of person that sort of i didn't just have one group of friends i didn't have um you know one set thing i wanted to do you know in terms of you know when i left school or, or anything like that got into a bit of trouble when i was younger I was kind of on the fringe a lot and i didn't really know what i wanted to do with my life so i actually just remember when i when i was sort of the last few years of school and when i did leave school um it was more about just trying everything and that's literally what i did i tried everything um i could get my hands on it's almost like a running joke at my 21st birthday that i had like 200 jobs or something before i was 21 because i just i'd do something i'd do it for a week and i'd be like no nah, this is shit into the next one and i think i remember i was working for um, one of my mates uh down at maroubra phil king and he gave me a, a job you know just doing some carpentry and stuff and we were installing a kitchen and i just remember going okay this is, I think this is what it is. I, I was getting something from it. It was hard work. Um, you know, it was a very basic kitchen, but you know, it was kind of like, 
that was the first time I actually had some pride in what I did. And I think that's where it started. So, yeah, it would have been many years ago. And then over the years, I just continued working for different people, um, just helping them and then, you know, sort of getting my own skill set up to a, um, you know, uh, a level at which I could then start thinking about things in a bit more detail and then wanting to do things at a higher, you know, so, sort of with a bit more higher quality to it. And um, it just sort of evolved, man. That's, yeah. that's really how I got into it. So how how old were you when you did that first cabinet making job? Mate, I'd say probably like the late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Um, I'm 35 now, so, you know, it's, it's a f- quite a few years, it was 15 years ago, um, 16 years ago. But I didn't come through the traditional way most cabinet makers do like I didn't get a I didn't go through like your, your typical apprenticeship you know three years work at a cabinet shop that kind of thing I did do that um, but I didn't like I did that with multiple companies after the fact but I was in my sort of later 20s because in that early period <laughs> I was focused on other things music sport um, I wasn't really I wasn't really looking for a career at that point um, I was just enjoying life I guess you know yeah so then how does that take you into Arc Joinery? Give us that uh, story of how, how Arc Joinery came about. Yeah, so again, Arc Joinery really as Arc Joinery has only really been around for three years. Um, I started the company actually as uh, Amazing Shutters, which was um, timber shutters, timber um, PVC and aluminium shutters. Prior to that, I was working with uh, another company um, who's like a big um, I guess wholesaler in Australia, and I sort of thought to myself, okay, this is actually not a bad gig. Um, I liked it; had same sort of thing. Like I was getting a bit of a kick out of it; it looked really nice when I finished it, and it was fairly straightforward and easy to do. So I thought maybe I'll start a company and, and you know start doing a few jobs um, just to get my sort of my name out there. And then as I started doing that, more and more customers would ask me, and they'd be like, oh, do you, could you get a cabinet for us, or could you build us a wardrobe as well? And then I started to realize that actually the shutter side of the business wasn't as good as what I expected through experience, through actually doing it. Um, There's a lot of cowboys in that industry. It's not really regulated. So anyone and everyone had their finger in the pie, including the wholesalers. Um, And you'd be competing against the actual wholesalers and you could never win. So I just thought to myself at that point, there was enough demand, there was enough interest coming from clients i knew like enough builders i knew enough people in in the industry um and i had enough experience where i could start thinking about okay maybe you know i can um i can start installing my own work and start small and that's pretty much what i did i sort of transitioned at that point because the i just listened to my business the business was telling me you know let's go down this route you can control manufacturing um and yeah, that's that's basically how I sort of went from you know that's how I got it started basically. But it yeah. was uh, yeah, it's it's been a massive journey in a short period of time. Yeah. So what's that three years been like looked like for Arc Joinery? Like how did you just start? Was it just you? Did you do you have guys right away, or did you or machinery? You know, like what was that process? So I talked I talked earlier just a little bit about taking opportunity, and um, man, to be honest. I had no idea where to start. Like I'd, I've never run a factory. I've never managed a factory or guys. Um, and I had to basically find my first opportunity. 
Um, I don't know if you've got Gumtree down in Melbourne, but we've got Gumtree in Sydney and I'm just a Gumtree, like I'm a fiend on Gumtree. I'm always looking for something. Gumtree demon. Gumtree demon, man. Like, and, and 10, well, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was even well, way better than it is now. You know, Facebook marketplace has pretty much ruined it, but Gumtree was the place, right? And you could find like little opportunities. And I started out by uh, just thinking to myself, oh, I need to find a factory. That's probably the first thing I'm going to need. So I'd start looking at ads and um, just seeing, you know, what was available and imagining, oh, yeah, maybe I can afford that with no sort of real plan in place. And I just kept doing that. And then I just remember after, you know, while I was working, one, one day this ad popped up and it was an old Russian guy in, in Botany and his name's Boris and half the industry knows who Boris is. Um, just a real sort of no bullshit kind of Russian guy, you know, and he runs a, a company called Outboard Kitchens. I'm still good friends with him and his kids today. And, they, they, you know, they're in their niche of the market, you know, focus on rental kitchens. Um, and he had an ad up actually for wanting someone to sort of share um, space in his factory. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, okay, here's an opportunity that I can, you know, I knew that nine out of 10 people wouldn't take, you know, because there's probably a lot of risk associated with it. You don't know what you're getting into. And I just saw that as an opportunity that I could just have a crack at basically. So I called him and went in and had a chat to him and it actually didn't go to plan. I, you know, it didn't really work out that, that sort of initial meeting. Um, and then fast forward a couple of months, I just kept, it was in the back of my mind. I just, you know, thought, okay, I'll wait for the right opportunity. And the client had called me with a job that was worth my worth my time, and I just thought, all right, now's now I'm going to give it a crack, you know. So I called him, and um, you know, ended up just somehow getting my way in, getting my foot in the door, and um, and that basically started it all for me. I got to sort of see how they were doing things. Um, but I, I like to think of myself as a pretty quick learner. If I can see it, if I can see it and feel it, I know what's going on. Um, and that's basically how that, I guess, how that journey started, um, you know, with, 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 with Boris really. I pestered him to teach me CAD um, and it was probably that, that side of it that I didn't really have a, a really big understanding on at, at that time. Um, and then I sort of basically had a crash course in cabinet vision. And within a couple of months, I'd sort of taken what he'd shown me and I just really started running with it. Uh, I just sort of, you know. I think within six months I'd have my first big major contract with yeah. Richard Cook's constructions and, yeah, we went from there. Yeah, so uh, working with, with Boris, you, so you, he taught you how to program, he, you had a space that you could build cabinets Yeah, and, uh, and you were using his CNC for cutting edge. Correct, yeah. As well. So yeah. that's a fantastic – I mean, that's how I started. So my dad runs a factory. Yeah, so right. So my, my company's been around for two years as well. Okay. I fucking said this how many times on this podcast that we just met. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. so I, my company's been around two years. Yeah. Before that, uh, I was selling retail kitchens while I was at uni. Yeah, right. Like for mum and dad's private jobs. Mm. Um, and I went to school to study construction management, so I got no trade background. So I don't even have a trade background like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started, he would um, cut an edge for me. They'd assemble the cabinets. They wouldn't set them up, but... They just put the box together, send them on site, and I get a sub to install them. Mm. So only this year have we moved into a factory and I've got four guys working for me now. But um, very, like quite a similar timeline Yeah, yeah. to where you are. Definitely. Uh, it, it moves quickly too, you know, like, and you're a pretty switched on guy just from talking to you in the, you know, the last 10 minutes. Um, joinery is kind of one of those things where 
it can move as quickly or as slowly as you allow it to. And don't tell the clients that, man. Nah, well, I mean, not not in terms of the project. <laughs> definitely not the project. Yeah, don't I'm get probably, it. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> no, nah, right? don't get it twisted, man. Definitely don't get it twisted. But I, but I definitely think that, um, you know, you can learn a lot really quickly, but you're gonna get burnt. You're gonna get hurt, and you need the energy to get back up again and again and again because, you know, you can take it easy and then in three years sort of develop slowly and not be as, I guess, shattered by you know, another guy next to you who's just gone, you know, from zero to hero in three years and is just, you know, has no energy left as well. So it can, it yeah. can really, it can really burn you quick if, if you're not, um, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself and if you're, you're not up for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, like we went from retail kitchens to doing high end architectural. Like it was a huge, it's a massive, it's a huge fucking jump. And massive. like you said, you get kicked in the nuts so many times, but <laughs> you're just going to keep, keep moving. That's it, man. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how many, you know, how hard you can get hit. You know, um, that's really what it's about. And it's also about being aware of, um, you know, I would say, if anything, in in the last three years, the biggest take takeaway from my business so far is not the fact that you know I've grown to such a level, or I've got you know fifteen employees, or I've got this, or I've got that, or, or my turnovers. That it's actually it's actually the fact that I'm a lot more aware of myself. Because a business is ultimately going to be a reflection of the owner. Um, you know, it starts from the top and it works its way down. So even your apprentices are going to reflect the way that you show up to your business each and every day. And you're not going to get it right every day, like I certainly haven't. Um, but over the, the course of a few years, you start to see the patterns. You start to see, you know, in yourself, you, you have self-awareness and you're, you're able to handle bad news and pressure and all this stuff a lot better than you probably would have 24 months ago, you know? Um, and that, like, it's hard for us to see the progress when we're just dealing with shit after shit after shit. Because ultimately when we're doing joinery, we're seeing a lot of problems. And like for us as business owners, it's like, man, I had this whole job and at the end it looked amazing, but there was 500 problems. And then you fa you go from that and then you have to go to facing a whole lot of other problems within another project. And for me now, I might have 15 jobs all running concurrently. And it's like this, sometimes it's like too much to, to even think about, you know, I've got a problem here and I've got that problem there and a supplier issue there and four staff not showing up on that day. And so it really becomes about how you manage yourself and how you show up and how you can be aware of, you know, the red flags early on so that it doesn't just become all-consuming and drain you of that energy that you need to have a successful business. Yeah. What What are the um, – let's talk about the, 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 the practical side first. What are the things that you put in place uh, to sort of have your business run as smoothly as possible from uh, software to management staff to yeah. processes? Like what are the things that have worked for you? I think the – I'm very – I like to try things really quickly. I like I like to try a lot of things and get rid of the things that don't work quickly. That's probably been sometimes too quickly for my staff and my team because you know I'll be talking about implementing a software and then two weeks later we're implementing a whole another software and oh that's not working. So um, sometimes it can be a little bit quickly. The things that I would say is that you definitely need to have technology on your side. You know if you're doing things the way that businesses were doing them 20 years ago. Um, and if you think about it, like well, most people that start up a business learn the trade from someone else. 
So I think that's the best way to do it. Not aware that there might be a thousand tools out there that can make their job a whole lot easier. Um, and in our industry, the joinery industry, I kind of feel like we're going through this big shift where, you know, I was fortunate enough to learn from guys that were cutting on panel saws, you know, with handwritten cut lists, and they were amazing joiners, right, cabinet makers. Um, but you can be an amazing cabinet maker but not have a really good business, if that makes sense. So I think there's a bit of a shift happening now where, um, a lot of the business owners that are coming, you know, a lot of the young guys like you and, and myself are coming into it, we're not like the traditional cabinet maker. We're kind of more like focused on the business as a whole and wanting to innovate and have technology and have processes and software. Like my whole factory is paperless. I've got screens everywhere. Everyone's on an iPad. Everyone's part of our in-house project management software. Our in-house Gantt charts um, sync up to all of our calendars so we can plan things a certain way. And it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than what a lot of other people are doing as well. Um, because it's really difficult to manage multiple projects that have might have 200 touch points in a project and you've got to get them all right. Um, someone's got to sign off on it. And the key thing that has made my business move forward quickly has been trying to integrate technology and giving each person a, a slice of accountability. So your job is to make that cabinet this way. Here's the process. But it's your job to do that, not mine. Um, yeah. So, what, what does the what does the Arc Joinery software suite look like? So, we'll get into cab because I know cabbage. I've looked a little bit into it. Okay, but just arc, just the join the Arc Joinery. Arc Joinery. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, look, there's there's all in ones. I mean, there's ERP softwares out there that you can get. What are you using? I yeah. use a I use a bunch of different things. Yeah. So, uh, what does the whole suite look like? Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, well, I use PandaDoc for all my quoting. Um, I'll go from start to finish, yeah. basically, right? So, you know, we, we've got our own um, in-house marketing software, right? Our, our own CRM lead flow. And it incorporates everything that's out there about Arc Joinery. So we know um, not only traffic, like we know how much, you know, how much work we've got coming in. We might have $10 million worth in, you know, in the pipeline just sitting there that we're working on. We know how much is current. We know all the jobs that are being paid. Um, so I think having a really good solid CRM is is probably the most important foundation for any joinery business because if you can't see your marketing dashboard quickly and easily, you don't know where you're really at. You don't know yeah. kind of what's coming in. So the CRM is is um, inbound leads. Yep. Uh, capacity or like a sales pipeline slash yep. slash capacity planning based on revenue. Yep. Um, and and is that and you said it's a cust like is it is it a custom solution or what yeah yeah so we've got a marketing company up in Brisbane yeah um, Adam Wallace and um, and Cassie at Content First yeah they're amazing um, and and what we did is we sort of sat down early on in the piece and you know when I started the first couple of years of business I was just like everyone else it was referrals you know I was getting a lot of referral work it was just a lot of the same builders it was kind of like that kind of stuff what we didn't want to happen as a business as we started progressing is you know. Early on in the piece, I lost a bit of money to a couple of builders, um, and I've I've heard on your podcast similar stories, um, and just you know industry wide, it's a problem. Um, so we didn't want to fall into that trap, especially with COVID um, coming, where we were relying just on a few builders or the same kind of guys. Um, we wanted to sort of diversify our product offering, and so we we, we linked up with a marketing company. And they're really good. That you know, we had this idea that we wanted to have everything in house, and they basically developed the platform to suit us. 
And we've got everything from, you know, the initial dashboards to, to reports to Google rankings, everything in the one place. We can yeah. see our reputation quickly. We can see, um, you know, if people are talking about us, if posts are trending, all our socials, everything in one place. Yeah. So that's um, a CRM. That's our CRM. And yep. then in, does that go into quoting then? Yeah. So what happens with our CRM is yeah. we automate a lot of the process. So yeah. we stopped doing free quotes for builders, architects, or resi about 18 months ago. We don't do it. We don't ever go and do a free quote. So we charge uh, a fee, one ninety nine um, per space. And the reason that we do that is because when we quote, we don't just quote. We won't just guess a price. Um, if it's someone I know, I might just give them a rough estimate, like especially builders, it's hard, it's hard to do that. But generally I want to have a very accurate price because I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my, my own time. And if you're serious about the project, the one ninety nine fee is nominal. So what you're doing by doing that, you're actually onboarding that person. You're qualifying your clients. Well, you're not qualifying. They become a client. They're paid $199. So you, the psychology of, of the sale that way, I mean, look, at, let's, let's take, for example, a $50,000 kitchen. Um, there's a lot of joinery companies out there. There's a lot of cabinet makers out there. There's a lot of bad stories as well, right? Trades have, you know, they get a bit of a bad rep you know, as well because there's some dodgy guys out there. Fair enough, yeah. So, so if you don't know anything about the industry, you want to spend a fair bit of money on a, on a kitchen. <clears throat> um, for us, it's kind of like a stepping stone into the bigger picture. So it's like, here, pay us one ninety nine. We're going to give you this, 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 and this. And we do. We over deliver straight up front. Like we'll draw the entire job, like photorealistic renders. Um, we go all out. Like the presentation that, that we deliver is probably like I haven't seen anyone else do it. And we spend that amount of time and effort on that because we're. we're we want to build trust. We want to do it the right way. But we also are holding ourselves accountable to the end product. We're saying, hey, you're going to spend 50 grand on this kitchen and this is exactly how it's going to look. Like this is this this photo here, it's not an artistic representation. It actually links to cabinet vision. So your cost basis on the 199 quote is closer to 600 bucks. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like yeah. it's, I mean, it's that whole, it's that whole premise where you you wanna you wanna get rid of the tie kickers as well. But you know what I mean? Like you gotta you gotta assess, you know, if someone wants to work with you, it's gotta be worth your time, right? And if mm. they're serious about it, like what's two hundred bucks? You know? Okay. But it gets rid of a lot of it gets it can get rid of a lot of the sort yeah. of um yeah, people that aren't serious really. All right. So Charlie comes to you, yep. you put me in your CRM, okay. um, we have our consultation, blah, blah, yep. blah. Um I, I pay it say, okay, I want to quote. Yeah. Um, I pay my one ninety nine. Yep. Um then what do you got? Then like, what's the next part of the system? Yeah, so it goes through a bit of a process, but basically, um, you know, it, it follows everyone else's, I guess, traditional method. You know, you got to measure. You you know, you sort of got to have a chat to them about what they want. Um, we'll draw it up. When we draw it up, we use Cabinet Vision to price right, and Cabinet Vision is very powerful if you use it the right way. Like, have you got Cabinet Vision? Uh, we run Mosaic. Mosaic, mm -hmm. and does that give you like report, like big reports and stuff, like to be able to price jobs? We use Jobman. Jobman. Okay, yeah. so uh, the ERP, right? Mm -hmm. So we use Cabinet Vision because when we're drawing it, mm -hmm. you can allocate labor prices. You can do they're called uh, cost centers or cost centers. Uh, bid, bid, bid center. centers. Yeah, yeah, the bid center. Yeah, and in that bid center, you can set up multiple different ways of pricing. Because as you know, you might have a residential client, you might have a builder, so you might need different ways of pricing things. Um, you might have different price pricing matrices, matrices set up for different clients. And if you have stone or poly or things like that, you can do that all very effectively in, in cabinet vision. And then when you're drawing, so when you're drawing, you're not just you're not just 
you're killing two birds with one stone because you're pricing accurately. That's the main thing. Now, once you've got that price, the way we price, we do it so that we know what our margins are, like what we can play with, right? You can do whatever you want with your quote from that point, but then we're very confident in our pricing. And that's probably where a lot of people get that first bit wrong was they sort of go, oh, that seems a bit expensive or, you know, um, you know, I don't know why that wardrobe is. You I'm know. just going to push back a little bit. Mm. So I'm a client. So I'm a, as a cabinet maker, yeah. I know there's guys uh, who charge you know, anywhere from 20% to yeah. 55% gross margin, right? which is fair, which is fair enough because mm -hmm. it's a free market, baby. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does a client know that you're pricing at a level that's acceptable for them? Okay, and this is this is the how or sorry, do no. you work out a scope for their budget and you yeah. design to their budget? No, so I get look, we kind of generally we're very clear in the in the sense that when we let our clients know that we're never going to be the cheapest. As simple as that. That's the first thing. Second thing is cost is irrelevant. It's the value. It's all about value. It's not actually about a cost. Right, it's like oh, I only want to spend ten grand. Well, ten grand might be expensive for a cabinet, but it's not that expensive for a plane, right? So cost is irrelevant. It's about the value. Like, what do they want, right? Do they want just a cheap cabinet in the corner? They don't really give a shit about. They're renting out the, the garage, or is this their house and they've been thinking about it for twenty five years and now they have the budget to do it properly? Cost, cost is one of those things that you, I guess that's. That's all about the relationship that you build with that client or the relationship that the architect has with that client and that you have with the architect or the builder. So to a degree, that, that I, does I, fall I agree into with it. you yeah. because we are selling a relatively homogenous product. Correct. So what different so that becomes the baseline. Mm. So a high quality cabinet is the baseline. Yeah. So what you're competing on is actually the the customer experience. Yeah. So but it's everything else around the cabinet. It's not so Building a cabinet nicely is one thing, right? And to get that right is difficult, right? Because there's so many different factors and I won't get into that. But in terms of what you're delivering as value to your client, what they perceive as value and what makes them happy at the end of the transaction has way more to do with things like the resources that are available, right? If it's a big job, you could be the best cabinet maker, but you're only one man and you've got one offsider and the client's going to have a bad experience because they don't really care about how good the cabinet is itself, but they had a bad experience with the communication with you. There was no one following them up. You know, it took longer. And that's they're the things that tick someone off, right? So it's all about aligning, you know, the the actual value with the client correctly. So being able to say, hey, this is a $20 million house, right? And there's heaps of joinery. You know, you need the resources to do that. You can't just have one or two guys. You need to have like maybe five guys on site. You need to have someone dedicated to contacting that person every so, day. So what you're speaking to is, is value-based pricing as opposed to yeah. cost basis-based pricing. Well, yeah, and I, I steer away from the cost-based pricing thing because how quickly can a job just blow out? If you've only just sort of gone, well, I've got a cost of a cabinet plus, you know, 20% or 30%. A lot, of the, a lot of the time people shoot themselves in the foot because when something goes wrong, they haven't really thought about the entire process and what that client wants, you know. So um, it, it really is important to, to understand your client correctly, but also you've got to be competitive in your market is what I would say, you know. So yeah. if you're in a higher-end market, I mean, you can't be, you know, 2,000% more than the other guys. Like, this is not going to work, right? You just won't get the work, right? So you can. You can push it and see what, what what it does. You might get lucky and get one or two jobs, but generally, yeah. And, and look, it's a tactic that's used in the industry 
when guys are busy, they'll push their prices up, right? Because the whole adage is just say no through pricing. If you're too busy, just say no through pricing, like it up, right? So people do, you know, the market tries to do that, but generally the market speaks for itself and people will, will pay what they're going to pay. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So once we, and you said you use Pandadoc for quoting, is that, yeah. is that for the sign off yeah. component? Or yeah, yeah. 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 So once we've gathered the information from, uh, from Cabinet Vision, yeah. we get, we generate all the reports. And what that allows us to do is it gives us accurate measurements on things, you know, how many square meters of paint, how many cabinets, how many sheets I need to order, et cetera, et cetera. Then we can build our quote. And we use, and then once we've got the cabinet vision file ready as well, um, we then off the back of that we have a plugin which we use to render, um, which gives us like the the really nice renders and walkthroughs and stuff. And then we we compile all that into the document. And we use we use PandaDoc because I mean I've been using it since I started the business. It's a really good document because I guess there's plenty of templates. It's intuitive, but mainly the analytics side of it's really good. You're able to see you know. Um, you know how, how many, many times people times open opened it. the quote. Mate, I've had clients two years after the fact open a document twenty three times in four hours, and then we give them a call and we end up getting the job. Like you be, it's amazing. Like, and it also gives you an insight into the person you're dealing with because as a cabinet maker or as a business owner, you know, I don't know how many times you've gone. Oh, I've just sent you that email, just making sure you got it all good, blah blah blah. And they say, oh, you know, I haven't got it we know they have so it's just good call them out yeah <laughs> well we don't but it's kind of you just want to know that like they've got it they've read it the other really good thing about pandadoc is it actually shows you where they've spent the majority of the time on the document so has it been around pricing or has it actually been about around the visuals like because that's giving you like psychology into your potential um customer and what actually what, what are the things that they value most like is it are they worried about the price? Are they more worried about the the um, you know the visual aspect of it? How many times have they downloaded the document? So it, it's really good. Like from a you know from a quoting point of view, you've, you've got a lot of useful information there as a business owner. Well, if what we're selling is consumer experience, yeah, then any knowledge, any data that we can collect on consumer behavior mm. is gold. It is, and look, data that. <laughs> We're, we're, you know, joinery companies are just like every other business. You want to know who your customer is and you and you want to try and make it a good experience for them. It's not just about, you know, making more money or trying to get more sales or whatever. It's actually about adjusting for your client needs too. No, it's it's recognising that that consumer experience is the variable yeah. and paying attention to it. For sure. Paying attention yeah. to it is a big one because... A lot of people don't pay attention. A lot of people, and it's through no fault of their own. I think it's just, it, you know, you're kind of good at what you're good at. You know, you might be a really good builder and hands-on, you're amazing. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm the world's best joiner. I'm a good cabinet maker. I can put things together. I'm logical and analytical in the way I think, but I'm a better global thinker. I'm a better visionary. You know, I wouldn't say I'm a very, I don't give a shit about detail. I don't, I'm just like, get it done kind of thing, you know, and I like trying big new ideas. So it's more about just aligning your personality with what's going to work for you. And if you don't have a skill set, trying to look for that in others, especially in your team, you know, to try and to try and get the best kind of balance. Yeah. Um, so then from PandaDoc quotes accepted, what does a production workflow look like? From a, and, and, and also in, you know, from a software standpoint? Yeah. So uh, in terms of like how we roll it out, like. For, yeah. Like uh, every, like. Uh, resource management, purchase ordering, mm -hmm. um, uh, job scheduling, yeah, yeah, 
uh, yeah, just all, all those things really. Again, Def- yeah, we, defects management. Yeah, yeah, we we use software, so we we've we've designed sort of um, our own in-house software that has basically um, template Gantt list Gantt charts from start to finish. So we we basically break our I guess start to finish of production in three major stages, and that's design and planning, so drawings, um, the production, so manufacturing, um, ordering, all that sort of stuff, and then the install, the site stuff, site based stuff. They're three major categories, and they expand with you know a myriad of different tasks and checklists and everything. Um, and then we sort of assign you know early on in the piece. What we do is we really try and treat every job because every job's different. But a lot of the tasks are the same. So you need procedures and checklists for each of those. So my guys at each point have, you know, for example, if you're ordering, they'll open up the order. Uh, the ordering might be scheduled for tomorrow. There'll be a person assigned to it. The whole team has access to this, by the way. So everyone keeps everyone else accountable. So if, if we're busy and Spencer, my production manager, forgets to order, he's going to have Grace and Sarita on his case about it. They're going to be going, Spencer, how come you missed ordering yesterday? It's it's at zero percent. It used to be me. It used to be me going, fuck, why didn't this happen? What the fuck? Like who who forgot to order that? Like, where is it? Where's those runners? Do you know what I mean? That was just the worst because all of a sudden you think six weeks is a long time, or four weeks is a long time, or eight weeks is a long time. Man, you got three days before it's gotta go out. And everyone's the place is on fire. Everyone's running around like, and you deliver a worst product, and you deliver a shit product, and you're not happy. And the thing is, this is the other thing that it does. When when you start when when time becomes a, a pressure, it puts a pressure on everyone unnecessarily, right? So you go from everyone in sort of grooving. No, like it's every a grooving. Man, you're you're no fucking groove. like you're tense. It, well, every no, it's everyone else. Don't worry about yourself because yeah, I'm it's, saying it's, it's a, your the whole, team. The whole it's team. The team. Because then you're going. Man, you're not leaving until this is done. Like, where is that? And then everyone's blaming everyone. When, if if tasks are set out and and, and the pressure is on for that task, so it's like, hey, Spencer, we're six weeks before that job's got to go, but you're not leaving until it's ordered. Sorry, man, you can't go home until it's ordered, bro. The pressure's on today because then there's a little bit of pressure each day, and it's fair, right? And then people don't feel like. You know they're completely overwhelmed, and you you're know. talking a lot of shit about Spencer, man. What are you, <laughs> Spencer's what are you good, to man. Spencer's been my right hand man since I started the business. So yeah, yeah, he'll be listening to this. Yeah, good job, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> good job, Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, and then that. So then all your. So that informs all your scheduling and everything. Yeah. Um, now the most difficult part in the business. Uh, install. So, mm. what do you do for that? What's what's the stra- what's the strategy? You're a, you're an athlete. Yeah. What, what's the strategy? What's the, the game strategy? Plan? Look, um, installs just the hardest the hardest part really because not only is there, I mean, obviously there's an obvious skill shortage in the industry. Um, all the good guys go and start their own businesses. That's 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 it in a nutshell. So, trying to find guys that will deliver to your business what they could do on their own is really difficult to find. Um, and on the flip side of that, there's a lot of guys that want sort of ridiculous money and they don't really, ha- they don't have the skill set, especially for arch- detailed architectural joinery, right? Uh, I mean, I know some guys that it's in Sydney that, you know, I've had guys come in wanting 120 bucks an hour and they, and I've gone and I've said, so, as subbies. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not, yeah. As a subbie. Yeah. And then have, and then I've just said, well, Come downstairs and show me how you install a, a flush face filler. Let's 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 get going now. And like they don't know what you're talking about. They don't know how to do it. So 
it's just it's rife with cow. Well, I've been doing shadow lines for 15 years now. <laughs> yeah, see, see what I mean? Like, yeah. or like, man, you need to scribe this, you know? And I'll just go, how do you how do you scribe a filler? And I'll be like, do you know what the word scribe means? You know? And they're like, oh yeah, you just put a thing in and you're sort of going like. So um, that's not to say they're bad people. It's just that there's a there's a big lack of skill in certain parts of our industry, and unless you take the time to either show them the skill you have or teach them what you want you can't really get the best out of out of them it's a it's a very difficult thing we're lucky that we have we used to use a lot of subbies we still do use subbies um but we've we've got our own in-house installers and they what we what we've done differently in the last 12 months that i i feel is a better way of doing it we used to just have you know the guys on the cnc and edge band are the machinists then the assemblers and then the, the site guys the problem with that is that the site guys would go, oh, the assemblers fuck this up, you know, and the assemblers will go, oh, I don't know where that piece is and et cetera, et cetera. So now what we do is we have three or four teams of two um, and that team has a tradesman and an apprentice and it's their job to ta- carry that job through the CNC, the edging, any machining, assemble it. Then we have um, subcontract delivery company that will pick up the job, take it into the rooms and that same team will install it. And the reason we do that is it's full accountability there. It's a slower process. That's why we've invested in more teams because then you've got teams revolving. They also don't get bored. I found with our guys, you know, good guys that are, you know, on the bench, man, they get bored. They're just, they're sick of putting boxes together. They're just over it. And the guys on site get sick of the site stuff. So it, 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 it gives them two big things. It gives them a change of scenery. It gives them a bit of, um, I guess, independence to control their day and their job. It gives us accountability, so it's like, hey man, that's your job. Like that wasn't done right, um, and it also gives them pride in the final product because a lot of guys don't get to go out to site and see their their work, you know. So we went down that avenue um, recently, and it's been really good for us. So I've been really happy with the way that's panned out for us. That's very interesting. Hmm. That's yeah. very interesting. I'm gonna, yeah. we're gonna stay on this topic for a bit. Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> I'm sure in a one or two of those teams, mm. the tradesman has very limited or had very limited installation experience. You know, so, so for us, like, you got to remember, I've tried a lot of things. Like, site's been one of the biggest headaches for me. I mean, it's the whole. I'm route. very curious. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to learn right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've tried it all, man. Like, I've been on site. Like, I've always or I've got to the point where I was like, man. I'm pretty much the only guy that can. I have to be there to install. Like I could, I can't see a way out of this, you know, because I feel like I'm letting clients down, I'm letting customers down. No one gives a shit, blah blah blah. But it's not that. It's it's got to change the thinking from being like pessimistic to being like, okay, what's gonna what's gonna engage my guys, right? And one of the first things that I did um, about a year ago was I thought to myself, hang on, when a lot of the jobs are coming out to site. The installer doesn't even know the client's name. The installer is going there and installing, and he's just like, you know, yeah, he might be a good installer, but there's no like pride for him. There's nothing like his name, he's not recognized as the guy. So I what I started doing is I'd bring these installers to site when I was check measuring or when I was meeting a builder or whatever, and I'd be like, oh hey, um, you know, this is Mark, he's one of my best installers. Mark, this is, you know, Brad. And I'd get that relationship going early. And then 
you know, six weeks, eight weeks later when they go to site and I'm not there, they've already got a little bit of a relationship. They know who each other are and I've also sort of patted him on the back in front of the client, which sort of bolsters them up. Then they want to be there and they, you know, they want to work for you. They want to do a good job because they're, you know, they're, they're kind of reputations on the line as well. And then I sort of developed that. I went with that. I went, okay, the pride thing's working. Like we're getting more sort of my guys, I'm getting more give a shit from my guys doing this, you know. So how do I evolve this, like from start to finish for, for guys to give a shit from start to finish, you know. And then I just thought if you take it back a step, um, sure, if, you know, from an efficient point of view, a factory might run better just having one guy on the CNC, right? But that's if you're doing volume-based, you know, the same shit day after day. We're not. We're, we're Every project's different. Even though the tasks are the same, so CNC, edging, dowling, whatever, um, but every job's different. It requires pride, and you're not going to get that pride if you've got one kid on the CNC for 40 hours a week because he doesn't give a shit. And no matter how much you give a shit, he won't. So the only way you can get him to give a shit is for him to buy into the project he's working on. And for that to happen, you have to have them go from start to finish with that project. And by doing that, you're creating accountability within that team because they can't blame anyone else. And you've got to give them the resources and the support and you've got to sit down with them and go through drawings and educate them as they go. And they're going to make mistakes. They're going to fumble. Like my guys still make mistakes. Right now probably making mistakes as I'm on this podcast back in Sydney, right? But that's okay. Our job's to be their coach and just be like- Well, your job's to reduce the the likelihood of the project success. You, you don't bank on it being 100%. You're no. just increasing the likelihood. Mm. You're just trying to maximize the probability of success. Right? It's not- For sure. But yeah. you do that through, you know, trying to develop different ways of working for your people that work, that will, that will yield a, a, a greater benefit. You have to you. work for your people, man. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. You have to work for your people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, otherwise you're not going to get what you, what, what you want. You, that, 100%. That, that's the start. You got to, you got to build the culture. You got to, you got to really understand what's in it for them. You know, yeah. what, what gets them. And in Australia, mm -hmm. in this beautiful, amazing country that we live in, yeah. unfortunately it's not money. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. Not, unfortunately it's, it's not, not money. money. Yeah. It's, um, and, and, you know, just team dynamics is a big thing and culture, you, you touched on culture is a big thing. Like you, you know, similar to a sporting group, right? What sport did you play? Oh, I was a, I was a, I was a sprinter, 100, 200 meter sprinter. Oh, um, a great so, team sport. <laughs> not a team sport at all, but, um, you know, I was but, fortunate. But you had training partners. I, well, yeah, yeah. I, was, I mean, I, I was on Australian teams, um, state teams. I, I ran at the 2000 Olympic trials. Um, I had I, sports and I played footy as well. Mm. Sport team or individual requires discipline, but also requires a culture, right? So even if you're in, in, in an individual sport, there is a culture there, you know, what's acceptable, what's not. But there's usually a passion for a club or a jersey or a team or, you know, if, if you're representing a country, there's a passion there, right? It's for, it's for the shirt. It's not for me. It's not for the money. Why do people, um, you know, commit their lives, you know, to go to the Olympics? And it's not the money, I can tell you that. So... It's finding that thing that's going to motivate them beyond beyond the money, but it's also important for them to be able to see, like apprentices, for as as an example, apprentices in Australia in the joinery industry are just they're used as cheap labour. <laughs> I mean, that's that's simply put because everyone's under such pressure and and you know everything's so expensive that 
you sort of just you train them up to a level and you just go, okay, just put him on a scene. So I'm busy. I've got to do something else, right? And then people wonder why there's no apprentices in our industry because I mean, like as if you're an apprentice, you really want to be, you know, just cheap, be treated like cheap labor essentially. So it doesn't mean you have to kiss their ass every five minutes, but I think if there's some kind of structure there and they feel like the company they're working for actually gives a shit about them, you're going to retain them and that that kind of spreads, that culture spreads. And even with qualified tradesmen, like by buddying up, the, at, you know, at Arc Jordan, we buddy up a tradesman with an apprentice. And when we do that, um, there's a lot of things the older tradesmen don't know but that the young guys do, like how to run a CNC because they're on, they've been on site and they're working with their hands a lot more. So it's sort of like it's it, it kind of works, you know, relationship works, they help each other out. And on bigger projects, you might have multiple teams, you know, but it's always the responsibility of, you know, whichever team the job falls under. It's their responsibility to go and get the help from our other guys and say, hey, I might need a few subbies on site to help me because they're going to run the job, right? That yeah. accountability thing is really important. It's also, at the end of the day, what makes them feel good and if they feel good about the job they're doing they're going to stick around man i mean you can't pay them shit as long as you're paying them well enough um everything else lines up but if they feel good and there's that pride there man they're going to stick around yeah i mean like we say that you know that the people here are entitled or this that whatever that's because you're thinking about money mm. and money isn't the variable culture is the variable yeah in the same way that in the same way that for your Clients' customer experience is the variable. Um, in for your employees, culture is the variable. Mm. I, I think that's um, so. People like employees need to shut the fuck up about. <laughs> um, oh, everyone's so entitled. Everyone's so entitled. Okay, yeah. do something about it. Yeah, you know? you're yeah. in a business. You're in control. Do something about it. I think you know, and you're right. Like it's so easy. It's so easy for to get caught up in that whole whinge culture. Oh, too. fuck the politicians! Yeah, or it's it's everyone else's fault. Yeah, like it's kind of like oh, um, you know, oh, I, I I hate working for builders or this and that. There's kind of like there's a bit of a whinge mentality. Do sometimes. something about it. Yeah, well, exactly, hundred percent. And sure, everyone has everyone has a tough time, right? I mean, yes. there's 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 always moments when you just like, fuck. Oh, so, I mean, sometimes there's days I want to go in and fire the whole factory, right? I mean, it's just you know that's running expense. Expense, <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> But um, I mean that's that's part that's part and parcel of, of running a business and growing and learning who you are too. You know what I mean? Because you're you're learning to deal with a whole lot of shit that you have never that you don't have experience in dealing with. I mean, especially at a young age, you know. It, I'm sure when you've got 20, 30 years experience, you just probably won't care about that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's um, the, yeah, do something about it is a hundred percent correct. Well, I mean, let's word it in a more empathetic, compassionate way because I do, I do, I do understand that it's very difficult, right? Yeah. I guess do something about it just means um, hold yourself accountable. Yeah. Because once you hold yourself accountable, yeah. it means that you're in control. Yeah. That no politician, no regulation, no mark can actually impact you because yeah. you're in control. Yeah. And that gives you the power and the freedom. Yeah. To do something. To do something for yourself, better. yeah. yeah. So. And, and the other thing is with that, I'd say that, look, it's okay to have a vent and, and to be upset about something or whatever, but like you said, recognise opportunity and, you know, you, you sometimes you need to pivot. People have this thing in their head where they're like, oh, I started this business and I'm just doing this one thing. Like it might be architectural joinery, right, and I'm only going to do that. And even when the market's telling you, 
pivot or look at something else or, or like look at the problems. You're not. You know, it's your ego. And if you can't if you can't put your ego in check, and if you can't say, you know, I'm running this business because it's art joinery and it's me, and you know, I only do architectural joinery. Well, fuck, man, you're going to suffer. You're really you're going to have to suffer one way or the other. There is no easy way, right? There's it's always hard, right? <laughs> you want to be unhealthy and eat shit and fat that's hard it's not easy but you want to train and be healthy that's hard too so you got to pick your heart which one do you want so you can make a decision that's going to still be hard you're going to have to maybe pivot your business or add a different product line or lower your expenses and get rid of a couple of stuff that's all they're all hard things right you can't just keep going the way you're going because that's going to be fucking hard mm-hmm. you're going to run into a big problem and especially when you can see it coming Sometimes the hardest decisions you've got to make for your business aren't fun ones. You just got to do them, you know. Um, and I just think a lot of people are a bit naive in that sense, and or I feel like they've let their ego get to the point where it's not actually about what's good for the business. It's about what's good for their ego, you know, for, yeah. for themselves, you know. And that can be a dangerous place to play in. Yeah, man, that's something. That's something that's. Um, uh, that's very relevant because you know like i personally like i find myself deferring the troubles of today to tomorrow yeah. quite often yeah um and it's i think a lot of it just comes from that anxiety and fear of like just wanting to running like run away sometimes yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and you procrastinate you, mm. you don't tackle that you don't face things at all. and then like you said what's that what's that doing for your future problems yeah and what's that doing for your team and what's yeah. that doing for you know like you have to trust your gut as well. Like, like if you're aware of it, there's little there's signs. Like you know the the red flags, and you know they're there. And the other thing is, you can't be too hard on yourself. You can't you can't no, be, you know you can't judge yourself. No, because you, you, you procrastinating and and doing things the shoulda coulda woulda thing it doesn't help you mentally. It actually drains you of the energy that you need to push forward and be a good business owner and and be there for your team and stuff. But I would say that sometimes you just need to take your foot off the pedal. You know, for me recently, I'm only becoming aware of, you know, when I get to a certain point, I actually need to have a day off. I just got to get away from it, go surf, go hang with my mates, go play golf or something. I never used to. I did 20-hour days. Like, I've got two kids under seven. The first five years of their life, I was I was just working, man. Like, Saturday, Sunday, I, I didn't give a shit. I was just like, I'm going to be ruthless. I'm going to make this thing successful. And that's ego. That was me, like, pushing shit uphill, you know, unnecessarily too because – all of a sudden you become a bit of a control freak and you do that and you do that and blah, blah, blah. And then your team's not actually helping you achieve the goal, you know? So until you can look at it differently and actually let the team help you get to your vision, um, it, yeah, it's just experience. It's time in the game. And you, you're going to learn one way or another. You've got to burn your hand on, on the on the cooktop sometimes to to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. What um where do you yeah you're quite thoughtful and introspective about these things where where does that come from? I don't know. Um, Just doing a lot of psychedelics when you were playing. <laughs> playing um, Man, I've lived a colourful life. I'll just say, like you know, I've been. I'm a housing commission kid. You know, I've been in a lot of trouble. You know, when I was younger, um, I didn't go through the normal avenues to get here, and but. I've been one of the most fortunate people that I know because I always look at I look for an opportunity, but then I take it. Like the things I would do, a lot of people sort of even my own mates, it's tiresome for them because they're just like, oh fuck. 
here we go again, Andrew's up to something, you know, he's starting a new business or he's doing this or he's doing that. That's my energy. I'm just, man, I'm looking, I'm looking, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and I would say I didn't have that formal family structure growing up. I was adopted and, and we moved around a fair bit and, um, you know, I had, I had a house fire when I was really young. My younger brother, you know, 70% of his body's third degree burn, he's brain damage, he's epileptic, he only just got out of jail. So we've got a very rocky sort of family life. But That's rough, yeah. I've had to, you know, but in saying that, I've grown up with an amazing group of solid mates around me, friends and, and um, people around me, and their family became like my family. I started learning these things early on, but I also learned how to hustle and get what I needed and, you know, sort of get ahead. And I guess having to rely on yourself and having to sort of, you know, want something and chase it, you know, I feel like the kind of thing I'm worried about for my kids is that everything I wanted, I really wanted intrinsically and I chase it till like to the death. Whereas I feel like for a lot of people, through no fault of their own, by the way, it's just kind of like we live in a bit of a um, very fast, like, I want it now kind of thing. There's no instant gratification. instant gratification and there's, you know, when it doesn't pan out, it's like, oh, fuck this, this isn't working. What's What else am I going to look at? Instead of going, you know, I really want to be a drummer. Like I didn't have drums when I wanted to play drums. Like I was in a housing commission with a leather chair and skewers and that's how I started. I really wanted to play drums. I, I couldn't afford a drum kit, but I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. I envisioned it. I kept like imagining and eventually I got there. You there know? you were at South, <laughs> South by Southwest. There I was, you know, yeah. yeah, at the Playboy Mansion, you know, and I got to do some amazing things just by not giving up. I wasn't the, I'm not the best drummer. I'm not the best, smartest guy in the world, but I just – I really wanted it enough and you find an opportunity and what what tends to happen is when opportunities present themselves people get scared of that people are like oh nah like it's a scam or it's not going to work out for me or it's kind of like you know there the universe is telling you man here like here's something you can do like you kind of got to put a little bit of trust into the unknown and go with your gut and just go wholeheartedly i mean what's the worst that's going to happen it's not going to work out and you move on to something else. Like, but if you don't try, like that's not going to help you either. Yeah. Yeah. So, And, and all that, all, all of those, uh, all that experience, mm. uh, that's the foundation for why you're so grateful and that's the foundation of your gratitude. I'd say so. I just think that, um, yeah, man, I just, I think I've been very fortunate, honestly. Like I've been in some bad situations, but I've always – you know, something's been looking out for me and an opportunity has come. You know, when I've put the effort in, it has come. I've also been smacked, like I've been spanked hard, you know, um, through, you know, it, through my own fault. Like you, you kind of, it doesn't go, you can't be angry at the world. I mean, it's the, the universe doesn't care what you think. It's kind of like if you, if you don't put the effort in, nothing's coming your way, you know. So you kind of need to, you know, set up plans today for what you want tomorrow. And if you don't do that, don't expect it tomorrow and don't be angry at the world for that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So be, be relentless in your pursuit but also be relentless in your optimism. 100%. You've got to be optimistic, man. You've got to, you know, it's kind of like as long as nine times out of ten my optimism is worth it, then it's a good thing, you know, because you, you want to be you want to be an optimistic person. You don't want to be a cynical sort of angry, beaten up, oh, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mate, that's the one thing. It's I'm, tiring. I'm quite, like I'm, I'm about to turn 25. <laughs> yeah, you're so I'm, fucking young, man. I'm about to turn 25 and I'm like, <sighs> I 
really don't want to become a cynical person. Yeah. I re- and I catch myself sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like in the business world, you're just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like, yeah, just man. like, yeah. And that's, and you know what? But what what that tells me is that you got great awareness now at an early age. I never had that at your age. Like I'm getting that in my thirties. Like the shit I did, I look back on now. Like someone said to me the other day, I said, you know, when you you know got in trouble when you're you know 18, 19, Imagine if you you know Andrew now met Andrew then. Like we'd, we'd be in a punch up in the street. Like just mm-hmm. no understanding, completely opposite ends of the world. Right. That's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Like that growth. Is it such is. A beautiful it is. Thing. And if you can see it, right. But you like when you have awareness, you can make decisions, right. Mm-hmm. If you don't have awareness, it's like ignorance is bliss. You don't even know what you're missing out on because because you just don't get it, right. But when you have an awareness, you almost have an obligation to make the most of it, right. Mm-hmm. Because you can see things that other people necessarily might not be able to, right? And you can also change things for the better for yourself. That's probably the m- most important thing. You you have control over tomorrow with yeah, awareness. You, you hold yourself accountable. Like yeah. It's, yeah. You don't have to be big. Account- like people think accountability is like, you know, rock up to work at 6.30 a.m. and do blah, 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 and get all those things done and blah. That's not accountability. Accountability is the, it's the little things, right? It's like making you – can't, you can't make a freight train – like do a U-turn at 400 kilometres an hour, you've got to nudge it. Like it's going from Sydney to Newcastle. I don't want it to go to Newcastle. I want it to go to Alice Springs. And I start with small nudges and they turn into huge changes over time, huge. I saw an excellent video. I don't know. I, f- I forgot who was who made it. He was talking about innovation in companies. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about most people think about innovation with an end goal. Yeah. Like we're going to create the best system for our business and all our CRM production is going to run on it. Mm. And then we spend all this time, effort, money trying to get there and it's so hard to get there and mm-hmm. it's, say, 70% right. What the smart companies do, like the Amazon, get it going. You, you just make – the question is the, – the guy question asked, the guy he asked was, what's the easiest, quickest thing that we can do that's going to yield us the biggest benefit for the business? Yeah. And then you do that and then you – Ask the same question. What's yeah. the quickest, easiest thing we can do? Yeah. What's the quickest, easiest thing? And then you yeah. end up in a place, like you said, mm. you, you end up in fucking Alice Springs. Yeah, yeah. And when I was playing music, it's a perfect example is that, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of musicians, a lot of bands and stuff, they'll spend five years trying to make the al- most perfect album. Yeah. But the market doesn't give a shit. They moved on. The sound card rappers are doing better care, than you. They don't man. And guess what? CDs are gone. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just made this mad CD. Oh, what? What's MP3? Like, you know, fuck. We spent that long making an album. It's got, like, it, we're prehistoric. Like an MP3. We're on yeah. NFTs now, baby. And the kid that, like, you know, recorded a, a rap album um, in his bedroom becomes Eminem. Like, it's, it's like, mate, just put it out and then evolve mm-hmm. and then put it out and evolve and put it out and pivot and evolve. And then because you're listening to the world, you're not, it's, See, we've got this thing in us where, especially if you're creative, whether it's business or music or um, whatever it is, about making it polished and perfect and, oh, I don't know, it's not quite there or I'm not ready for business or I'm not ready for the blah, blah. It's like, man, fuck that. Just that, do it. That's insecurity. Just It is. Everyone's yeah. got it, man. Everyone's got it. But that doesn't mean, like, don't do any, don't think about it. Right? It doesn't mean, like, fuck. Don't, I, don't fully. <laughs> don't yeah. be foolish, yeah. right? But have an awareness. Give a shit. Do enough. And then go because if you're just sitting there forever trying to make it perfect or forever bouncing ideas, you know, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. There's another big thing. I don't know where I read it, but basically the whole premise of it is that 
just shut the fuck up and do it. Don't tell people that you're going to do something because what that does is actually actually gives you a dopamine hit, right? So if I say, hey, man, I'm going to – oh, man, I'm just about to start this business, blah, blah. What that does psychologically, it's just like big clap. Yeah, you've done it. And your brain actually goes well, – it gets everything it wanted to from that, like it, like from from a, from a chemical um, point of view. It gets the dopamine hit. And then it's like – I think it's like you're 30 or 43% – less likely to then commit to doing that thing. Mate, How many times has that happened? I'm I've done laughing. it. I'm, I'm done laughing it. because I've literally brought myself to tears because I had the most amazing idea. <laughs> like literally I'm like, holy shit, yeah, this man. is amazing. Yeah. And you get you get high off it. Yeah, man. And you tell everyone, you go, man, I've just got this idea. I'm doing this, this, and this, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like six months of talking about it. And then- you know, a year later, you'll be walking down the street and someone goes, hey, Charlie, man, what happened with that fucking groundbreaking hat idea you had? And you're like, ah, oh, fuck that. I didn't bother with it. Yeah. Because I got the joy. I got everything out of it. Whereas if you just shut the fuck up and do it and then release it and then tell everyone, hey, man, go to www.whatevermadhat.com and look, have a look at my hat. Like, it's about timing things right, not waiting for the perfect product, but actually doing something about it because- You'll feel better for it, A, but B, people respect you for that as well. Mm. People actually will actually, you'll find your tribe that way. People will actually be like, man, this guy's actually doing something. He's not talking about it. He's actually doing something. Yeah, I mean, like one, I was just talking about this with a mate the other day. Like one beautiful thing about this generation and where we are is it's very open. Like we can talk about, you know, mental health. We can talk about these yeah. things. We can share ideas. We can- yeah. Which, which a lot of it's frowned upon. Mm. But one side effect is that we feel like we've actually done something by talking about 100%, 100%. it. 100%. So 100%. And especially us young guys need yeah. to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would – look, I'd go one step further and say, and I, you know, I, I, mental health's a, a funny one, right, because – and I've got it in my family. You know, my brother's mm. severely mentally ill, mm. um, schizophrenic actually. Um, I've got – a long history of mental illness in my family. Um, at what I would say, what, one thing I have noticed is I think there's a difference between being upset, maybe slightly depressed. It's, you know, I don't know. The whole depression thing mm. is, is a funny subject to me because- Depression's thrown around like- It's thrown around. Like I've got a cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, I think it's great that people are talking about it and I think there's great that there's initiatives out there um, that are sort of helping people with things and stuff. But I also think like, if you keep, if you, you know, you sort of become what you think about and what you talk about. And if you're constantly talking about yeah. your negative things and I'm in a negative space, you're not doing yourself any favours. Now, that's completely different different to someone who's got a chemical imbalance and they're depressed. They're taking like medication for it or something heavy's happened or they've come back from, from war or something. You know what I mean? There's depression and then there is like, you know, maybe you need a lifestyle change, man. Maybe you shouldn't be drinking on the weekend and getting on it every weekend. Maybe that's your depression. Do you know what like, I mean? How many people say OCD? <laughs> well, like, but you don't know, know what real OCD is. Just be is. honest yeah. with yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Or ADHD. You know yeah. what I mean? Like how many people – I think it's just about being really clear and honest with yourself about what the actual problem is so that you can so that you can honestly move forward and be happier. That's yeah. that's that's all but, it should come down to. There's also one aspect is, is sort of society rewards you you know, because it's talking about mental health is like is is in a lot of ways people do it from a place of virtue signaling, mm, that badge of honor kind of yeah, thing. Like yeah, look at me, I'm mm. whatever. I think 
you got to believe the best thing, and that's the cynical. That's the cynicism that can oh, creep in, right? Oh, it's not just Spence in the hot seat today. I'm in the fucking no, hot no, seat no. But too. I mean, I, I 100% understand what you're saying. I get it, but I also think we should always believe the best in in people. Really, well, I, look, I, the the positive, the optimistic view is now it's virtual signaling, but once it gets so prevalent that it's just like normal, yeah. then that social value decreases, and it's just normal. It does yeah. well. I think it's healthy to be talking about things that are obviously a big problem as part of society. I mean, suicide numbers and things like that don't lie, right? Mm. And they're they're big, right? Mm. So that does tell you that there is an issue, right? There is an issue. So if by way of um, virtue signaling, you know, we prevent that, then maybe like how bad is it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think once we go over the hump, it'll just mm. be normal, and then yeah, yeah, it won't be like yeah, it's not like it won't be cool to say you're it, it's just yeah. like it just is what it is. Well, yeah. the reason that that it's cool or whatever. It's just because people have allowed a platform to be able to stand on a on a cliff and shout. And you got Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever. So, and this is part of the problem is that people are so people are so worried about comparing their own backyard to everything they see online, and it's been curated just for you based on your interests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, it's, you, you're in this echo chamber of bullshit, basically, right? And if you don't have an ability to switch off or an awareness to be able to go, eh, well, this is Facebook just keeping me in this fucking loop so it can keep advertising to me, which a lot of kids don't, by the way. They're just in it because their mates are, right? Now, life happens outside of Facebook and there's some things that no matter how much you want to, um, you can never change. I mean, you can't, you can't just press a button and get educated. You can't press a button and have experience and you can't press a button and have relationships and all those three things require you to go out there and do those things. You, there's no shortcut to it, right? Yeah. And getting fit is another one. There's no shortcut to it. There actually is no – you have to commit yourself physically and outside of any social platform or whatever to something and it's a difficult thing to do. So people are so used to that that quick gratification thing that, you know, the the – the way Facebook and uh, and Uber Eats works and everything's just available, right? So, but especially younger kids, like, you know, I'm talking about some of my workforce, 20-year-olds, right, millennials, you know, young millennials, you know, guys like that are your kids. Age. Well, yeah. some, some of the ones that can't see, like, where that's headed are sort of in that trap, that depression trap, right, where they're like, why do I feel shit? You feel shit because you see all this stuff you want and you can't see the link to how to get it, and you don't understand that the link is experience, and you don't get experience by looking at Facebook for 10 years. You get experience by getting out there and doing shit, right? Living your life, making your mistakes in real world. Like I traveled in my 20s. I got arrested in, in the States. I like I, 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 I drank, I partied, I did everything. Like in my 20s, I lived life, whereas a lot of people I see now don't even have that opportunity. Right, they're just living their life through social media. Like I've got fifteen thousand followers. Like that's not fucking life, mm. right? And then all of a sudden you're in your mid thirties and wondering why I'm not feeling happy or like accomplished. It's because you're not experiencing life. You're not experiencing real relationships. Like you've got fifteen thousand friends online, but I guarantee you that like you don't have any really close, meaningful relationships with a lot of people. And that's a that's yeah. a hard thing, you know. Yeah. I, look, I. I Let's not get too deep on the politics, but like yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think you should fight it. Like it's yeah. it just it, it's just is what it is. Like yeah. it's hundred percent. It's not gonna. It's not a. It's not like get off your phone and th- no. You're gonna be in your phone more and more and more. Yeah, yeah. Technology's so, like, there. Yeah, and I, I disagree that you you can't make deep meaningful relationships mm. online. You know, mm. I think 
especially like kids growing up in my generation, yeah. like or kids a bit younger than me, yeah, like the friendships that they build on Minecraft and Roblox and Fortnite mm, mm. Are, are real, man. Yeah. Are just as real mm. as you and that guy who almost died on that codeine trip together. Mm. I'm not saying you don't codeine, yeah. but I'm, I'm <laughs> saying like, yeah. that's what I'm. Yeah, my my thing is mainly more to do with that depression side of thing. Like I just mm. think you know stripping it back. I just think it, it's difficult when you're looking at everyone else seemingly achieving their goals and you feeling insignificant when you, you feel like you're not. And and that's a dangerous place to be for a lot of people who, you know, because a lot of older guys that are successful and business owners and stuff, it's not like we turn around and go, you know, here's my life story. And, you know, because a lot, a lot of the guys that are successful, they fucked up their whole life, right? It just it took a while to get there, you know. So I, th- I just think younger people are, are quite hard on themselves. They've got so much to offer, but they're just yeah. are hard on themselves. No, we, we, do, we judge ourselves a lot because yeah. um, you – the, yeah, you don't see the realistic pathway to success. Yeah. You, you see sort of the ones that stick out. Mm, you know, mm. you see the crypto millionaires. You yep. see the blah blah blah. Yeah. blah. and it's um, I heard a good again. I don't know where it was from, but it's it's they said the problem isn't get rich quick. Mm. The problem is get get rich easy. Right. Okay. And I think that's like for our, for our generation. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with getting rich. Quick. I think mm. if you, if you do, you know, you can you can make money in a yeah. short span of time. Yeah. But we want to do it, like you said. Yeah. You don't want you don't want the challenge. You don't yeah. want the the way I'd liken it to might be something like a you know, fat loss pill, right? You you have ten different fat loss pills, and maybe you get maybe you lose twenty kilos in in a month, but it's not sustainable. And the thing is, you haven't become the person that's required to sustain that, right? So maybe you do make ten billion dollars in a year, but you're probably going to lose it a year later. So money's not this thing that you just hoard in your room. It's not like a, you know, this thing. It's it's like oxygen. It comes, it goes. It's a relationship. It's not the thing, and that's where I think people get it wrong. You know, it's it's yeah. just about your relationship in understanding, you know, the environment. What makes it tick? What makes it flow? Um, it's managing it. It's not necessarily you don't store it in a room. It doesn't sit there. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, like I said before, you're very introspective and sort of thoughtful about a lot of these things, and and I'm sure you apply that to your business as well. Like, where do you, what do you want to create with it? Like, what is Arc? Mm, yeah. What, how do you, when you extrapolate it, when you when you like go in the matrix, and you're like, <laughs> like what what is it? You know Look, I mean? when I started the, you know, when I initially had the idea of Arc, I really thought of my, you know, the ego side of it was more like the apple of joinery, you know, like. You know, huge glass factories where people walk in. Everyone looks like, you know, a medical student, and you could eat off the floor. And it's kind of like a new new way of being a cabinetry company, just around the world, like massive. Like I go big, you know, I go big or go home. Now, that's the vision, right? <clears throat> but then you you run your business, and and things go a bit different. Um, the way I see things now for us as, as a business moving forward is arc joinery, I always want to be basically a premium service, right? The problem with having a, a high-end detailed architectural company is that you can't be all things to all people. So um, I think arc joinery just needs to service its part of the business and do that really well. Um, but for the to, to have, a, I guess, a financially viable business, you need volume, you need you need you need money coming in, right? Um, and that's when I started looking at the other side of the, the business cabbage because I think you need to have a good productization mix in your business so that you've got a good, well-balanced business so that you're not – like if you all you do is take on high, high-end joinery, then that means your service is up here, right? 
But your clients don't all want to pay them. I would argue that your product is up here, That's but, what, you, but your service may not actually. Well, your product, let's just say yeah, your product, yeah. your product or service, yeah. right, is up here. You only want to offer a high-end product. But your client coming in the door doesn't want to really, you might get someone paying up here once every now and then, but then they're paying down there. And you sort of take what you can, but you still have to offer that level of service. Whereas if you have a good product mix, you can have the Arc Joinery that only does 10 kitchens a year, but we only do... Like if someone comes us to, up to us, we only do a kitchen over 100, 100K. If anything less than that, sorry, we don't do it because we have a good product mix and we've got a whole trade volume-based um, part of the business that carries it, right? And so I just think if you can be smart about how you have, you know, how you productize your business, um, it could be through furniture, it could be one-off vanities, it could be whatever, but having an understanding that maybe I need to have a volume part of the business and so that will allow me to focus very well on the few clients that I do take on that. And then that what that does is sets you apart as a very premium company with that. So if I'm going to Arc Joinery, I already know, then they don't do kitchens less than 100K or whatever, whatever, yeah. you, you know what I mean? It allows you to focus on that a lot more and it's you segment your business, but it also means that your business doesn't suffer. by Because if you only did, say, five kitchens a year or whatever, it might not be financially viable to do that, right? Well, I mean, when you think of Porsche, you think of the GT3. Yeah. Like you, you think of the 911. Yeah. But that's all supported by the Cayens and the McCarthy's. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Right. So you need to have a product mix that makes sense for your well, business. Well, actually, a better example would be the Camry to the Lexus LFA because they actually lose money on that. Yeah. But that's the halo of the brand. That's it. Yeah. Right. And it's got to make sense for you and, and your position. I mean, ultimately, what do you want in your business or what does the business owner that's watching want for their business? Right. For me, for, for Arc Joinery, I want Arc Joinery to be a bit of a legacy for me, my kids, and, and you know, moving forward. It's not about the money for me, but I want a financially, you know, solid business as well. I love, I love the idea of tech and innovation and doing the other side of the business has allowed me to sort of play with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, because I get bored as well, you know, sometimes you need energy. You, you want to, you want to be trying new things in your business as well to keep it moving forward. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, it's it's just an ongoing journey and evolution. You try things that might they might not work or whatever, and sometimes logically things make sense, and then they don't work, and you don't understand why. Um, you just have to go through it. Um, All right. So now you have to explain to me why you chose to take on the task creating a business like Cabbage. So what is Cabbage? <laughs> so Cabbage, um, and the logo does look like a cabbage. If you're wondering, thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Cabbage, yeah, and the name even it's it, it, it's actually misspelled because cabbage has two B's. Yeah, the, the first thing was I thought of cabinets packaged and then cabbage. You know, kind it's of cool. It's, was, it, it's awesome. Of, that was the kind of it. that was the premise. Yeah. The idea with it really is that I saw kind of I, I saw an opportunity and I thought, well, I've got all this manu I've got a full manufacturing capability now. I've got a full factory. How often is your CNC going twenty four hours a day? Like, I don't I, I don't run a CNC, but yes. Do you know what I mean? But how can you run if you if you're cutting if you, if you got a thirty six eighteen mm. like load off load auto label, yeah, yeah. are you cutting seventy sheets a day? You or, could be well. Look, so yeah. I'm, I'm saying, can you do? Can you sustain that seven, six days a week? Well, it's week? what it's about. It's that whole thing about don't worry about the don't worry about creating the perfect end product yet. Yeah, get something going, and that's yeah. what I did. I spent a lot of time on the front end, right? So the first problem I saw was that there wasn't anything really available to for me, right? When I started the in the industry. If there was an option for me to go online, order everything I needed, draw it up, have it flat packed or assembled and sent to me anywhere in the country in seven days, and I could compete against you know the, the joiner down the road that's got half a million dollars worth of machinery, I'd have been all in. 
but that it didn't really. That's that's interesting because in Melbourne we have those flatback supply. Like we we use a cutting edge service. Yeah, yeah. We we, we send them CNC like we, no, we send cutting them edge. Cutting edge exists. Like no, we we send them G code. Yeah, yeah. So we send them G code to their CNCs. Yeah, yeah. And we send the materials there. Yeah. And they they cut it and send it to us within. Uh, Five working days. Yeah, right. And that, but that's. But, but, but I've heard that in Sydney, that doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. And not just Sydney. I mean, we. I sent. I sent a kitchen last week to Caratha. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, like Western Australia. I send stuff to regional areas, right? Well, for us, the whole the whole idea is that arc joinery is geographically constrained, right? I can only go where I can install, right? But cabbage. I can send anywhere in Australia or New Zealand or overseas or whatever. Like, depends on the product. And no one's really nailed it on the head in terms of, like, because there's cutting-edge services. Don't get me wrong. There's there's places in Sydney you can go if you know where to go, A. But, B, it's kind of very manual and then you you got to sort of write down this and then I might draw it up. I might get back to you. I might not. This is all about empowering the builder or the cabinet maker or the licensed tradie to set up an account, go in, Design everything at your own leisure. It will it links live links to like Polytex um, uh, catalogs, Laminex catalogs, in real time, um, so that the pricing is very accurate. Right. That's that's a, that's probably the biggest part of it. Is that for the back end works really well, so that when you're drawing, say you're looking at a wine rack, or, or like say a draw unit. Um, and all the materials are priced accurately. You're getting a price then and there when you draw it. So at midnight, you're the builder. You've only got time to draw up a small kitchen. You can do it anytime you want. Get the price. You don't have to ring me. You don't have to ask me to do that stuff for you. And then when you do want to proceed, you just press proceed, pay, and it's there in three or four days. It's done. So the whole idea was more about it might not be the only solution to people, but okay. it could be a really good backup. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. Talk me through the software. Okay, so what do you want to know about the software? Everything. <laughs> How does it? So uh, let's go with uh, design. Right. What's the what's the what's the engine behind the design? Like what, what what are you running it off? Okay, so we've got a, a team in Melbourne that sort of run the whole that have developed the software. So there's parts of it. I probably couldn't get too deep with with the technical side of it. Um, is it like Go cabinets or? Yeah, yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and uh, so you've heard of Go cabinets. Yeah, I have. I forgot they existed. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they were they were growing quite quickly. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people use use them, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of manufacturers use them, but no one's actually created like uh, like their own brand, right? So it's kind of it's more about creating a brand that can talk to our customer as a manufacturer, right? Because so, so is your backend Go Cabinets? Yes. Well, yeah. it's it's cabinetry online, right? Yeah. Which uh, is yes, which is the the software company that yes, that, which that, is the software developers. company. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So same developers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is, is it's 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 stable. It's, yeah. You know, spent exactly. a lot of time and effort making Mate, it what it is. No reason to go out and try to build something yourself. Well, the backend, and the whole thing is really, it's about what you want to be doing is you want to create a product quickly. Mm-hmm. Right, you want to get it to market quickly. You want to you want to test your brand. You want to make sure that you're resonating with your audience. And if that part works and that tool works for that, you can always develop it from that yeah, point onwards. I, I love that you're using uh, cabinets online, but you're yeah. not relying on Go cabinets for the distribution and inbound lead. Correct. System. Yeah, yeah. Because because brand is a ve- brand is a very important. Brands variable. everything, man. Brands yeah. everything, really. Brand. Yeah. So, okay, and so we can. Go on the website. It's a web-based design yep. system. Yeah. 
we design it gives us live pricing um, yep. because you have a backend uh, uh, database, correct? Yeah, and you can modify the pricing in there to yep. suit your yep. And you like pricing that. libraries as well, so product libraries. Mm. Um, you want it. You, you you need points of difference as well. So you need them. Like, we, like for us, we've got things like. Um, options for for our customers some of our customers don't want to draw the jobs right so they'll email us a drawing and then we'll go well in the like when they go to cabbage.com they log in they can actually pick a drawing service or they can pick a checking service so if they do draw something and they're worried about i don't know if i've done it right i can pay another 50 bucks and just get someone in the office to check it it's all about what, what you want to do is you want to create you almost want to create a white hat option for people if you're going to go down this avenue i want to create a, a fully um customizable white hat solution that will help the trade and i only want to help the trade for me it's not about you know mrs jones down the road it's about um the new builder or the, the cabinet maker that's gone out on his own needing the support and experience that my company can offer right and then at a good at a really good price that makes him money and makes him happy essentially giving him the all the credit for the job from his client because if he's making the money and he's happy with the product then there's going to be. I've got no problem telling people that that we don't have a CNC. Yeah. Because, like, it's the juice isn't it with respect to, or you guys who own, well, my dad owns two CNC. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the juice isn't in the CNC, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Especially at the end of, if you're on work operating sort of at the higher end of the market. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, you, you're, you're solving a really big problem for, yeah. you're massively reducing a barrier of entry. Yeah. Look, the, the, when I went into business, it wasn't about this at all. I mean, this is, this is I had an idea um, and it evolved and it became what it became. But um, I think what you what, what you need to do as a business owner, especially, you know, in uncertain times, is you need to be aware of what your actual true capacity is, right? So a lot of businesses go, I've got a joinery company and I'll do, you know, one and a half million bucks, but their machine's sitting there for 16 hours out of 24 or 20 out. Probably, actually, I know most guys probably use two hours of their CNC a day max. You well, know, if, like, you, so. if you think about it, right, if you, um, if let's say most guys are cutting 35 sheets a day, yeah, yeah, um, pretty conservative, yeah, depending on what you're cutting and yeah. whatnot, yeah. 70 sheets 70 sheets of cabinets yeah. is a lot of cabinets for two or three tradesmen to work with. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of cabinets for the size of factory that you likely have. Mm. So to run that for five days yeah. is just not possible. It is, and this is the thing. You have to be smart about what you've got. I mean, you can't do it on a 100-square-metre factory. I mean, I've got 1,000 square metres. I'll be the mezzanine. I've got 11-metre ceilings, right? Mm. I've thought about how we do things. For us, it's not about – see, where, where a lot of traditional businesses have gone wrong is they'll – They'll have a factory full of cabinets and that makes your ego look good. Like, wow, like we're busy, blah, blah, blah. It's a load of shit, right? It's about getting in and the fuck out quickly, right? And it's all about how quickly you can turn it out. That's why like 70% of my orders currently, like through through the cabbage platform, they're flat packed, which is awesome because it's cheaper for the client. Why, but why would you even offer an assembly service? Because, because some of, of the white hat. Yeah. And not only that, it we charge for it. Like it's not like we don't charge for it. Of course. But also it's good for me, especially when we're quiet, because I can turn it on or off too, right? So especially when I'm quiet, I make sure it's there because it's a potential upsell, right? Um, but like you said, why even offer it? I mean, it could get to that point. Um, like our flat pack company, yeah, we love them because that's all they do. Yeah, they yeah. will not put a screw in anything. Yeah, yeah. And like, and they love working with us because yeah. we're not going to go screwing back for an yeah, edge because yeah. we've got an edge bander, we've got tradesmen, yeah. we've got. I guess you know, the difference is that. With us, we are also offering it to people outside of the cabinetry industry, like builders or plumbers, for example, that want a vanity. 
and they don't necessarily have that skill but you know yeah. especially in sydney like we we mainly offer assembly just to sydney because they can we can deliver it easily logistics is a logistics is easy yeah. yeah but um but that being said i've i've we've sent assembled stuff to all over the country mm. like it just it just depends on what the project is and then obviously they've got to pay delivery so from a financial point of view it's it's more on the customer it's up to them really yeah and at the end of the day the builder's still saving 20 percent at least on the kitchen oh more than that yeah like if if it was compared to a like, so you, so you guys are charging at a very competitive margin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're very competitive. We do it. We want to make sure that there's enough meat in it for them to not just make their margin, but to allow for overheads, to allow for maybe something doesn't go right. The worst thing that could happen is, sorry, the worst thing that could happen is you don't have enough in it, and it it costs. They have a bad experience. It costs them too much money, and you know. Everyone at the table needs to eat. So well, you want to price it such that they can run a sustainable business. Correct. Yeah. And you want and you want you want it to be a good experience for them. It's like so they made money. It was a good product. They were happy with it. It was a good service. And that whether or not they decide to use us all the time, they know that we're there and, and we're reliable. That's yeah. kind of what, what we want to offer. Does does the cabinets online platform, does that send production orders and things through to your system? Like from their end? Well, well, I'm sure. Like, oh, yeah. So I'm, what? I'm sure it's not like connected to. It's your all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, yeah, everything's connected. So the way we have it set up is the whole idea. The, the way it makes sense from a from a business point of view is that um, there is no real need to handle much between. Like, so if they order, say you order something, um, I just unless there's a variation request or something, I just have a, have a look at it. And, just press OK, download the the CSV and the code, and, and put it on the machines. Off we go. Yeah. I don't really have to look at. I've got, and then I generate the reports, which give me a picking list or an order list. Um, and usually I can order that day, cut the next day, but second day it's wrapped on a pallet. Yeah, it's gone. You know, so um, it, it's a very efficient way of doing business. And if you look at it, like let's say. Let's say someone orders a kitchen that could be five grand, seven grand, you know, ten grand. If you do four or five of them in a day, mm. which is very, it's not hard to do. Um, yeah, it, it it can form a really solid piece of the business. And you're pro- what you're doing is you, you're providing something to some. You're providing value to someone else that didn't really drain you of your resources. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's really important. You're using infrastructure that's there it's reliable and you're also using machinery that you already have and in in the case of assembly and stuff like that you might be utilizing um resources the guys might be building something and then they've got two or three hours left in the day and it's like hey we need these five cabinets built for so and so they're there right so you're not you're not having to go out there and get all these new resources and especially if you're set up for, for manufacturing yeah, you just need to look at leveraging your business to maximize its potential output, really, and that's what we've done. Yeah, yeah. Are you uh, are you worried about the conflict of interest where um, you're more incentivized uh, from a, from a very narrow point of view? You're mm. more incentivized to do your high margin private work as opposed to doing your cut. Your, I'm going to call it a cut. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you want me to call? Yeah, it? flat pack. Yeah. Yeah. You're, as opposed to your flat pack service. Yeah. Yeah. Or are you? But, um, you're thoughtful, so you're probably going to always make sure you have a certain level of capacity for your flat pack. Yeah, I think. Look, my my wife's father said to me, "Don't create demand for a product you can't, you know, give. You know, so don't don't create the demand if you, if you can't provide the product, basically, because 
you'll piss a lot of people off. So I think you have to be a bit conservative in the way that you approach this kind of a thing and you have to have backup. You have to have, you know, for us, I know about four or five other good mates that have manufacturing capability that I've already spoken to and I've gone, hey, if I get really busy, would you be interested in this, this and this? Then I would actually just email code to them for them to manufacture. So you need to have, you know, if imagine if it just went gangbusters tomorrow, I need to be able to at least somehow deal with that. Right. right. So you've got four or five posts set up for yeah. your from your yeah. Oh well, Go Cabinets is very. I mean, uh, what yeah. Cabinets Online is very flexible because yeah. a lot of guys already have that G have posts set up for the well, G code. No, I guess where the diff where the big different different differentiator is is how you're set up right mm. because it needs to be set up accordingly like for example my cnc is going to be completely different to someone else's right and the tooling um the working speeds so just have you created like a post for all this yeah and so okay. and this is the thing you sort of if you're going to do something like the way that i've thought about it is we haven't needed to but if the overflow work opportunity arrives uh, arises then yeah, we have things in place that allow us to set up quickly um, a secondary manufacturing source, mm -hmm. a third, a fourth, a fifth. Yeah. Sub, um, supply chain is a big one as well. So, you know, we've our supply uh, supply chain partner is TNT. So, I mean, they can get stuff from here to Perth in a day, you know. Like, I mean, they, they move quick, you know. So you need to have, you know, I've thought about the, I guess, the global things, but there's things that still go wrong day to day, you know, might have, a job come through and the tooling's incorrect or something doesn't work. So you still have to deal with those those minor issues. But, uh, you know, as a general rule, um, you know, there is a good amount of capacity that's there already. If I got really busy, you could do multiple shifts. There's always a way, right? Yeah. The thing is if you get hung up on all the reasons not to do something, then you'll find a, you'll find a reason not to do it. So you kind of need to do it and then deal with what's in front of you to get ahead and, and to progress the business. And it and again, the business talks to you, you know, all of a sudden you start seeing what's actually working and what's worth my time, you know. Maybe maybe I need to focus more on this because it's doing so well or, or whatever. It, it's just, yeah, everyone's sort of different in terms of what they want to achieve and how they want to achieve it. You spoke about um, gut feeling, intuition, yeah. spidey senses, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so where, where do you – how do you see the business structure going? Like, do you see the cabbage really growing and taking over? Like, what, what do you see? What's, Look, what's your intuition tell you? I think the next two years are going to be two years for a lot of businesses that can make a lot, you know, that can really boom. I think there's a, we're heading into a boom with the amount of work. And uh, I'm starting to see signs of, you know, I look at, I look at, Little things, you know, when I drive down a, a strip in um, in Paddington, for example, I start noticing, you know, during last COVID, there was a lot of full lease signs, you know, and now I'm starting to see a lot of people, a lot of them are starting to, people are starting to occupy them and so that tells me that there's new business and there's kind of like, almost feel like there's this reinvigoration in the community. People are wanting to take risks, people are wanting to start things and that's going to happen in our industry where I feel like a lot of the good guys are now having that chat with their wives and partners at home going, maybe I'm going to go out by my on my own and this and that. So I see those things as signs um, and which is why I've sort of positioned myself with Cabbage because I do believe in the next year or two that could form a big part of our business and I think it's a good um, product offering to a lot of people, could help solve a bit of an issue that currently exists. Um, so, yeah, for me it'll be it'll form a big part of the business. Um, Arc joinery will always be there, and I love arc joinery, but like you said, you've got to look at your market and where it's headed 
um, both from a resource point of view, um, you know, and you know, a business value point of view as well. Um, in terms of you know, like I, w- I guess what I'm trying to say is that like you know, you c- don't just rely on one one thing. You know, don't don't just get complacent and and think that it's you know the best thing ever because I've been doing it for a couple of years because the market does what it wants to do and it moves quickly. And sometimes if you've got a gut feel and you go, I won't worry about it, all of a sudden you're two years late to something, you know. So you kind of do need to be looking at, you know, what's actually happening in the landscape, um, you know, in our industry, I think, because it's moving pretty quickly at the moment. And it's um, we're going through a bit of change, I think, yeah, from the traditional model of people wanting to, just do everything through a traditional joinery shop you know a lot of people are becoming very empowered a lot of people have the skill themselves so i feel like um a lot of businesses are going to there's going to be a lot more smaller businesses which is evident it's already happening a lot of smaller cabinet makers uh, are arising and there's going to be even more so um yeah i just think that i'd like to be a part of that um that part of the business as well yeah i mean i, I think if like if we weren't doing like if we were doing more like private residential focused work yeah that wasn't so custom and architectural and sort of relying on the architect for the design yeah i think a service like yours would be or would have been very attractive yeah yeah um yeah we we yeah. and and i guess uh, it really comes down to what the business owner or the proprietor proprietor really wants out of their business too like so a lot of our clients are um you know they might be a cabinet maker and they already got a joinery company that they're using right like i'll give you one example there's a guy in wagga and um his joinery guys are so busy it's like man i can't get like i've got another customer that wants another like i can get another two kitchens in the next month i can make another 50 grand but my joinery guy can't do it so it's about offering capacity to people as well to be able to say hey um, you're over there, but you don't have anyone in your geographic location that can help you out. So let's leverage technology to be able to help you with your problem by solving my problem too, because maybe I'm not busy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so you're sort of you're solving both problems at the same time. And I like to think of, you know, our industry. I think we need to be more innovative, and I like that innovative way of thinking because everyone at the table eats, everyone's happy, everyone benefits from something like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking work from another joinery company or you're doing this or you're doing that. No, you're just creating options and you're solving a, a small problem in a big market. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. So So cabbage is um cabbage is here to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah hopefully. We'll we'll see what happens. I'll definitely keep pushing with it and um yeah, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have another chat in uh, any year and we'll see if it still exists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you see that episode I did with um, the Laminex guy? Yeah, Haven Kitchens. Kitchens what, yeah. what do you think about Haven? Man, it was a really interesting chat. Uh, look, I'm probably um, – I kind of feel like it's a bit of a generic offering, to be honest, if I'm, if I'm truthful. Like I think they've got the right thought. See, what someone like Laminex has, they've got data, man, and they know what's going on Like based on data. It's just data, right? So they go, shit, this is where the industry's going and we're going to do something about it. now. They also are very restricted in what they're able to do, right? They're not as you know malleable or as maneuverable as someone small like me. They've got a lot more overheads and things to consider, so they can only put themselves in a position where they need to mitigate their risk. 
you know, with their with their offering, and that's what they've done. I feel like with their offering, I think it will do well in a certain area, um, which is probably why they're trying it in a small geographical area to begin with. Um, but I also kind of feel, unfortunately, that it's like twenty years too late. Like if they'd have done that twenty years ago, it would have been sweet. But you can't come into twenty twenty and and tell someone, hey, you've just got to use the same size of cabinet and we're limited to these colours because the client's going to demand more. Mm. And I feel like that might be the issue that, you know, that might be the issue that they're going to be faced with or, you know, the feedback they're going to get because as a cabinet maker, even if you're a one-man band, you want to offer your client the world. And if your client says to you, hey, I want a 30 mil filler and I want this and I want it in that colour, you've got to be able to deliver that. And the thing is someone else will offer it to, to him. So, you know, if nothing else existed, they'd be all right. But the fact that there are other cut and supply options and the fact that there is other guys that will service that market, um, I feel like that might be the issue. But I'm sure they will definitely still make money. They'll still sell some kitchens and stuff, but I don't know how how much it's really going to sort of take off. Yeah. yeah, I think um, like without sounding too pessimistic about it, like I, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of the business and that. Yeah. I love Laminex. We, we, you know, we, we've used them for years and uh, have nothing against them. But I just think that model, um, yeah, for me, it just seems a little bit outdated. That's just my honest opinion about it. I, th I think there. I, I agree with that. I think there should be maybe a little more innovation on the product side. Yeah, and um, a. I think it needs a lot of juice on the branding and marketing side. Mm. It needs a lot, a lot of juice. Yeah. And just from what I'm seeing, my personal opinion is I don't think that they're being as thoughtful and executing as well as they need to be on mm. that marketing side. Like they're still doing like bullshit, like client testimonials and like, mm. Mm. Um, like, the, the, like they, I saw they're doing like this influencer campaign, but it's like, it's just corporate is just so fucking tone and you, deaf. It's see through, yeah. corporate see through. Right? It's so tone deaf and just yeah. generic and like, mm -hmm. yeah. When you're, when you're that size of a company as well, you're limited. You're so company. limited, yeah. man. Like you, you could have the brightest spark walk into the office with the best idea and they've got to get it past the board the of board directors, meeting, right? Yeah. And it's not going to happen because. For them at their level and, and with the you know with the amount of of infrastructure and, and risk that they've got, they're all about mitigating risk. It's like, okay, well, we're only gonna do this, this, and this. We're only gonna do set sizes because the machines, like they're front loading their work too, right? So by only offering set sizes and set colors, it means they can create all the parts well ahead of time, right? So but they but the problem with that is that they're not really solving the problem that they set out to solve, which is time, right? Because what they've done is they've you might create um, set size cabinets ahead of time, but what? But anyone can go to IKEA and buy something set or Caboodle or whatever. So that product already exists, right? It's not like so. I'd have to be an avid Laminex fan to really want to do it. And and not only that, and if I don't know about Laminex or oh sorry or Haven or whatever, I'm not loud enough in the marketplace like to just understand that it's there you know and that's kind of yeah. where i think their issue might be yeah. well if that's where brand is the variable in my opinion like like if you were a laminex fan if yeah. you were a haven fan yeah and there's a there's no reason why they can't create laminex or haven fans mm, mm. but if they're just going to do trade shows and magazines yeah and yeah. And, and, and and tv commercials like yeah, I'd, yeah if they're not spending 10 million bucks on tiktok next year like yeah. i'd 
what's you know but that I agree yeah you know. yeah 100 branding so important and but these guys think differently because it's such a small segmentation of their actual market right so obviously their main part of the market is supplying cabinet makers right so they're trade they trade to trade um or b2b or whatever but um it's it's only going to form a very small part of the business so i'm kind of confused because that for such a big company to focus on such a small kind of reward maybe it's just their way of dipping their toe in to see maybe this is their way of trialing if that side of the business works before they commit to a bigger um, marketing push i don't know but um yeah it's it is an interesting kind of it's it's definitely i think it's telling when big companies like that are starting to look at that as a, as a business opportunity i mean that's telling you i mean what i just said before about where the market's headed i think you know bigger companies have an opportunity to you know empower smaller companies well, if you look at like the whole gig economy yeah man i yeah. mean like uber free like just freelance i mean in the creative space let's yeah. say yeah how many full-time employee drummers do you know yeah like, that's like, right that's a that might not be a great example yeah, it's but a like, terrible example <laughs> it's but, barely um, any work for any musician yeah. um <laughs> but yeah like the it's um there's just that shift in the economy yeah so yeah you're yeah, right. the gig economy thing is 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 very relevant in that sense because um and even us, I mean, if you think about the way I started my business, it was through sharing someone else's factory. And like 20 or 30 years ago, it probably wouldn't exist either, right? Mm. So that happened through connecting with someone with the internet. Now it's just it's just evolving, right? Mm. So if you're in a marketplace and you're available and you're loud enough in that marketplace and people actually like your brand and what you offer, you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to be completely different. But if what you're offering is what the market wants, then there'll be demand for it. But mm. you can have the best back end and terrible marketing and not loud enough in your in your audience and you don't have the options available to your market and they just won't yeah. go there. It's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah, I think for, for us, like we came on the market very hot and we would the brand and the marketing was too much for yeah. for our actual product. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it sort of just quietened the fuck down for a year and just mm, mm. really focus on the product. Yeah, yeah. Um because think, yeah, you want it to be balanced. And I think, yeah. you know, two steps forward, sorry, um one step forward, two step two steps backwards. Yeah. Sometimes that's a good thing for a business. Like seriously, like people underestimate the value in like getting excited moving forward and they're going, "Oh shit, man." Like because because then you can actually step back and look at it for what for mm -hmm. what it is and actually put your time and energy into the parts that are working for you, right? So it's great that you have that energy and enthusiasm and you move forward with marketing and it's great that you realize that half that shit's not working and now I need to slow down because it's going to give you your next move. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it gives you perspective, gives you room to sort of strategize and pivot. Yeah, man. Um, and, and sort of reconsolidate yeah. as you move forward. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. It's, it's Yeah, it's definitely – um. It's been out of run my business. Two steps, three steps back, one something forward. Something steps, something back. <laughs> something about yeah. steps, I don't know. Something about steps. What, uh, what, yeah. what day are you guys breaking up this year? So we finish, tomorrow's our last day, actually. Yeah, um, so we're wrapping up a couple of jobs at the moment. And Thursday, we've got our Christmas Christmas party, lunch. What's, what's happening? You said, you said that in kind of like a seedy way. Like, <laughs> no, 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 not a seedy way. What's oh. happening at the Christmas lunch? No, no, we we I mean we just all get together, have a have a few drinks and yeah. and some food and stuff. Um, yeah, nothing too over the top. I think we generally throughout the year we balance like work and you know we'll have barbecues and we, we try and do some things. Like in the last year, admittedly, it's been a bit crazy, so I haven't really been able to do as much as I, I would have liked to with COVID and all the rest of it. Mm. But um, that's just another thing again that adds to that whole morale thing, you know. 
sometimes as, as an owner, you need to sense when everyone's just over it and tired. And you know, sometimes the best thing for everyone is put, stop them all working and have a barbecue with them. You know, yeah. so yeah, I think everyone's looking forward to the end of year and having a drink and a relax and then having yeah. some time off. You know, so and then we're right back into it on the tenth. We, we're booked out, so we've got to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Let's um let's end this in a cute kind of way. Let's um what are you what are you grateful for in this moment? What are you sort of looking to sort of being just as you reflect and whatnot? Mm. Like what are you like what's the sentiment? What's the yeah, you know, what are you grateful for? I'm I'm just grateful for, you know, all the opportunity that sort of led me to this moment being here and and my family and my kids. Um you know, business can always be better and, and, you know, everyone wants to sort of achieve more. And But I think it's the little things, you know, like just being able to get a coffee and being able to walk down the street, you know, it's, it's those little things that you sort of, you just need to have a couple of those little one percenters each day that can just put a smile on your face and put things in perspective. And yeah. for me, it's things like I'm healthy, I've got two legs, I can walk down the street, mm -hmm. I can drive, I've got perfect vision. Um, so I'm I'm happy, you know. And as long as I've got my tools, my, my ability, and my hands and my feet, um, I, you know, I know that I'll be okay. I can I can work towards whatever I need to. So yeah, very thankful for everything I've got right now. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have, you know, like yeah. it's, uh, I was driving home and I just said, I'm alive, yeah. you know, like this opportunity. And then, you know, in this beautiful country that we live in, mm -hmm. um, I don't care what anyone says, like 100%. you have opportunity, you 100%. can do whatever you want in yes. this country. Yes. And that is, people, people talk about empowerment, whatever, you know, but like that, yeah. I, I don't know how much more empowering you can get. Like you yeah. can, do whatever you want in this country yep. and you can create anything for yourself. 100%. And that as a young person yep. is uh, such a humbling and beautiful thing. So that's that's yep. what I'm grateful for this year. Yeah, awesome, man. And uh, I think you're 100% right. You know, we've got huge, huge opportunity here. And um, yeah, just uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Don't, um, don't sweat the, don't sweat the small stuff, man. Yeah. That's it, man. That's just get it. over it. That's oh, it. actually, don't don't get that's a that's a bad. <laughs> you just got to be you. You got to be, you know. Don't 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 be pessimistic and and yeah. Don't linger and yeah. Don't like, judge yourself. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Just don't judge yourself. Just be kind to yourself, man. Like that's yeah. That's it, man. Um, let's wrap it up. Cool. You got to go to the airport. Got to go to the airport. That's it. Thanks, mate. Thank you, uh, Andrew Javari. Ah, close. Javari. Javari. That's it. Um, cabbage, C-A-B-A-G-E. Dot com dot A-U. Cabbage with one G, with, with one B. With one cabbage B. with one B, dot com dot A-U. Yeah. And Ark Joinery is easy. That's it. Like Noah's Ark. Like Noah's Ark. Yeah. That's it. That's me. Lovely. Too Thanks easy, so man. much. Thanks. Continue success. Thanks. Nice. Thank you.